Some of you have all got it backwards. You said, when God does this, then I'll do that. God says, you got it all backwards. Mm. I did it all at the cross, and now it's up to you to seek me first. Mm. But you'll find that in that act of obedience and sincere devotion, it will release in your life divine blessings and breakthroughs that, that you, we sometimes hinder. It, it, when God does this, then I'll do that. And if God would only then, but God says, oh, no. If you'll seek me first in my righteousness, if you'll position me as Lord over all, then you will allow me and release me to move in ways that I've wanted to move and to deal with things I've wanted to deal with, things that have kept you up at night, things that were complex and overwhelming. But the Lord says, if you'll just give me my proper place, if you will just trust me in all things and go about doing my will, then you will see my arm revealed in your then you will see my power go to battle for you then you will see my wisdom begin to unravel things that have confused you you will see as an act of your devotion you will release the divine blessing and working of God in your life to measures you've never dreamed there's one spot in the Bible where God says an entire generation is going to miss it. They're going to lose out. But except for this Caleb, because he had a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. He served me wholeheartedly, and he's entering in. And so the Lord would say, if you'll choose to serve me wholeheartedly, regardless of what others do, regardless of how others want to approach the things of God, if you make up your mind, I'm going to serve the Lord sincerely and wholeheartedly, then you will be the one that God smiles upon, and you will be the one that God says, I'll grant you that blessing. I'll bring you to the good of the land. Can you say amen? amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. He's worthy. We love you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We seek you first, Lord. We set aside the other things. We put our priorities in order. We put our priorities in order, and we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and we thank you, Lord that you will take care and you will bless and you will defend our cause. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It's so good to see everybody out. So blessed to have Brother Zinnicola with us. Um, I always forget to release the children when we have guest speakers. So I remember, I kept reminding myself. So children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. I usually get excited about introducing our guest speaker and then I get half a dozen arms waving at me. And I, oh, I forgot them. There they go. All right. Hallelujah. 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 Now, did we get his video set? Is he good? He is good to go. All right. Because I, I thought about that. My, 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 my orders were to, you know, so. We are so blessed to have brothers in Ecola with us. It's been a few years, but he's been here a few times. Always a blessing. He's been in Cuba for the last um, at least 10, 13 years, I guess, of his ministry. He's been going back and forth to Cuba, ministering the gospel. Before that, was it Guatemala? About 13 years or so in Guatemala. And he's always a blessing. He's always a blessing for us. So first, we're going to watch the video that he brought, and then he's going to take it right from there. So when he comes up after the video, everybody give him a big cheer and a big God bless you. Amen? Go ahead.
But if I get too loud, you turn it down, okay? I'm a Latin America preacher, and it gets loud. It is exciting to see what's going on, but a lot of people don't understand the whole situation of what happened in Cuba. I'll give you a brief synopsis. In the uh, 1920s, 30s, and 40s, and even into the 50s, Cuba was very prosperous. As a matter of fact, it was more prosperous than the United States at that time. The Cuban peso was valued higher than the U.S. dollar. People in Cuba, on average, were making more money than people in the United States. But a young man by the name of Fidel Castro had a different vision, and by January 1st, 1959, he took over. We had about 100 churches on the island. At that time, that uh, island is 800 miles long. It's a big island and has a population of about 11 million people. Those 100 churches began to shrink. I won't go into detail because we're online. But just uh, read your Bible, read the, uh, the uh, book of Acts, and uh, you'll understand what was going on. For 35 years, those churches shrunk, and the people that stayed and were faithful learned that they had to depend on prayer and fasting, and prayer and fasting, and then more prayer and fasting. And after 35 years of that, came the time when Russia pulled out. Back in 1992, they had been supporting the island for four to six billion dollars a year propping up the economy and now they the Soviet Union collapsed Russia pulled the resources out and the whole economy collapsed in Cuba today they're experiencing very similar situations to what they experienced back in the early 90s when the economy collapsed it was during that time that God chose to begin to move on the island of Cuba the church had been praying for 35 years for a move of God, and God begins to pour out his spirit on that island. They say it wasn't tied to any one church, one area. It was happening all over the island. Miracles began to break out. People were being healed. We know people were brought back to life after dying. They're serving in ministry today. And that is what started the revival move on the island of Cuba. The government saw that crowds were coming back to the churches because they were seeing their, their friends and their neighbors getting healed. And so this, this God that they'd been told didn't exist for 35 years now was the only hope they had. And they were accepting what was being said and hundreds were, were giving their life to Christ again. The government got a little concerned for the first time in 35 years they gave permission for Christians to have religious services in their homes. Today, you still cannot plant a new church in Cuba. But a Christian is allowed to open up their home and have religious services in their home. The government does not recognize it as a house church, but that's what we call them, house churches. I'm encouraging churches as, as I travel across this land. This year is my year of itineration. I'm traveling all the whole eastern United States. Just got back from the tip of Michigan. And I'm telling churches, you need to make sure you have a strong, small group ministry. Amen? Because that is how Cuba is multiplying during these times. We are going in there and we are helping with your, with your generosity and that of rest uh, of our supporters. We've actually bought over 200 house churches now. And uh, you see in the, in the uh, video, you saw the, the, the shacks that they're starting out in. But what we do is we try to locate a house that is a concrete block structure, and we're buying them for an average of $5,000 a house. That's about fifteen dollars to $20,000 worth of construction. 
The laws changed back about six years ago. People can actually sell their homes. They couldn't do that for 55 years. And now we're buying them up for house churches. And so pray about that because there, we have 187 new congregations. Only two of them have been given a house at that time. You see, they're not on, focusing on buildings. They're not focusing on comfort. They're focusing on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We try to help them as we can, as God provides, and so please pray about that. But I've got to tell you, before I go any further, that um, God, as I've been traveling around, has given me a word for his people. Got real quiet here. How many want to hear a word from God? <laughs> Be careful. Pastor, every time I ask that question, I'm reminded of that rich young ruler. He comes running up to Jesus. He acknowledges that he was the Messiah. He kneels before him. And he says, good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He was sincere. He recognized who Jesus was. And he knelt before him. He wanted to hear a word from God. You guys know the story. Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. He said, I've kept them my whole life. And I find that the very next portion is often just kind of glossed. But there's a little part there that says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. See, we get so stuck on his decision. But we too are being called to make that decision today. That was the word, the prophetic word that was just shared. Seek ye not the riches of this world, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. God has already spoken his word. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Are you ready for this today? Please do. I tell people this is the most important message, I believe, this is the most important message that a Christian can receive after the message of salvation. We're going to be speaking about eternal reward. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. But when Jesus looks at somebody, he doesn't look into their eyes. He looks through their eyes, their soul. And he saw something that that young man lacked. He wasn't trying to set an example for all Christianity. He looked at him and he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Take up the cross and come follow me. You see, as Jesus looked into his heart, he saw he was a very sincere young man. But there was something that was hindering him. He wasn't setting an example for all Christianity, nor for salvation. The young man came and he cried out to him, what must I do? You see, as Jesus was looking at him, I believe he was looking into the eternal aspect of his kingdom and he was preparing a place for that young man. He was calling him to follow him. He was giving him the opportunity to probably be one of the, his principal disciples. If that young man knew what awaited him in eternity, he would have said, no problem. But we get so stuck on what we see. We get so stuck on what we feel. And when things turn sour, all of a sudden, our whole faith is rattled. 
Stop preaching too hard, Pastor. The Spirit of God is calling to His church. He's waking up His church. The time is coming. The time is here. Get ready. We want to see great things, but we don't want to be uncomfortable. I can preach this because I lived it. That young man got up and walked away sad because he had so much. He thought that God was asking a lot of him. Just too much. No, God was trying to plan something. God was preparing a place for him in the kingdom. Do you understand that God is preparing a place for you? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we think, oh, he was t- he's talking about my mansion. He's talking about heaven. Well, yes, he is. But see, God's preparation is an individual preparation for each and every individual. In other words, he's saying, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Each one of us are called to fulfill a place in the kingdom of God. Don't you understand when Jesus was there and, and, and uh, James and John's mother said, Oh, good master, grant that my sons, one on your left, one on your right, might serve in your kingdom. And he says, I can't give that away. It's not mine to give. It's for whom it has been I want you to keep in mind that word prepared because it's very important that we understand that when God called us, then he prepared something for us ahead of time. You know the very scripture that talks about our salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Most of the time we just say 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, he has prepared something for you. We talk about the purpose-driven life. We talk about your life has a purpose. God has a plan. And it's absolutely true. He has prepared works for you to walk. In, in preparation for eternal life. And that's why he says, you know, don't, don't, don't seek this world's things. Don't build your treasure here on earth. Does God want us to be blessed? Absolutely. He just doesn't want us focusing on the blessing. Amen? Can we pray? So now how many of you want to hear a word from God? Then you need to open up individually right now. Each one of us need to open our hearts individually and say, God, speak to me. Because time is short. The word says, work while it is day because the night is coming when no man can work. Do you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you? You may not like it. It may seem uncomfortable right now. But I can tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to say, Brother Damien, thank you for the boldness with which you shared that message. Because God, the Spirit of God, is speaking to His church to prepare us for the kingdom of God. Not to live on earth. God wants to bless us. He loves to bless us. 
He just doesn't want us focusing on the blessed life. Will you pray with me? Will you open your heart? Father, we come. Pray with me now. Come on. God, I come to you right now. Lord, oh, your spirit is stirring us. Your presence was here during the worship. Lord God, your spirit spoke the prophetic word, Lord God, to us to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else will be added. But, oh God, we need you. We need ears to hear, ears to hear. I bind Satan from influencing in any way this message. Lord, I thank you that your spirit overcomes every attack of the enemy through the blood of Christ. And we ask you to open our heart that we might hear and receive. Now tell him, God, I open my heart. Speak to me. Speak to me clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go further, I want to uh, use an example because as a missionary... One of the most surprising things is to see people on the mission field giving more than we give. We've got this attitude that the church in America is doing so much for the world. Can I show you some people that are doing much more than we are? Can you go to Brother Rolando Escalante? That picture would be the first one. And if you want to darken the, the light so they can see that, they don't need to see me. This brother is a, is a hero. This brother lives in a Mayan village in, up in the mountains in Guatemala. This is uh, from, you can see the year on, on his mud hut, May of 2004, I think it was, when I was visiting them. That man that you see on the right in the blue shirt killed, killed another man with a machete. See, in these villages, when they get upset with you, they'll let you let it go the first time they'll let it go the second time the third time they walk up to you with a smile on their face one day when you're not expecting it and they'll just kind of ka-ching they're not trying to kill you they'll just lay you open and I didn't like what you did don't do it again or they've cut the arm you can see the scars in these villages well this guy was messing with his wife and that took it too far and he hacked him to death and went to prison for two years he spent two years in prison and that is when the pastor that I was working with in this part of the country reached out to him, and Brother Orlando accepted the salvation in prison and got saved. But when Brother Orlando, who cannot read, cannot write, understood the things of God, he grabbed a hold of them, and he got the goods. Isn't it great when they get the goods, Pastor? I mean, I got saved when I was 25, but I didn't get the goods until some year later. I'll tell you a little bit about that later. I only got half saved. I'm serious. That's what I tell people. I was saved by faith, but I didn't get the goods. I didn't understand everything that Christ did for me. I didn't understand everything that was away from me. I didn't understand the opportunity that I had to prepare for eternal life. Not to, to, to prepare for heaven, to prepare for eternal life. See, we think so much on, on heaven. We just think it's just this esoterical uh, existence around the throne room. No, my Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of the things that God has prepared for those that love him. My Bible says when we get to heaven that his servants serve him. There's going to be responsibility. There's going to be work. There's going to be honor in heaven. Not everybody in heaven is the same. 
It's not communist. Jesus said the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now, before God, we're all his children when we get to heaven. Amen? But not everybody receives the same honor. Jesus told his apostles that I'm, I'm giving you a kingdom as I, as I was given a kingdom. And eat and drink. We're going to eat and drink in heaven. And you will eat and drink at my table. And the 12 of you will sit on 12 thrones and rule the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't understand what all that means. I do know that I'm not going to be sitting on one of those 12 thrones. You understand what I'm saying? There are different levels of honor in heaven. And what we're going to find out today is where you arrive in the kingdom of God is not dependent on your salvation. It's dependent on your works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brother Orlando got saved. Man, when he gets out to, after two years, he told the pastor, hey, I have a, a small piece of land next to my mud hut, and I will donate it so that you can plant a church because we don't have a church in my village. I was told about the situation because this pastor and I were working together in the area. So we took our, our uh, 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 generator that I had. It was a brand new generator. And we went out there. We got arrived late. It was like 9 o'clock at night. It gets dark there about 5.30. The river was higher than what we thought and was longer to get across it. But we pulled up and we set up in this lot that was right beside his house and we just began to preach. It was you could you could sense the demonic presence of of the 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 enemy that night. I mean, it was just so powerful that night. We didn't know it, but we heard later that there was a witch that was right next door. She was doing her thing while we were doing our. How many of you know that demons are real? How many of you have felt the presence of God? I I, I am always saddened when I hear Christians. Sometimes Christians that have been Christians for years say, I've never felt the presence of God. God wants you to feel his presence. He's not hiding it from you. If you're not sensing the presence of God, it's because for one reason or another, you're not connecting at that level with him. doesn't mean he's not there. It means you haven't learned to connect at that level. When you see us, man, with our arms, I love your pastor's worship, man. He's just so heartfelt and his wife, too. Why? Because that's like a, that's like a big hug. How many would love to hug God? You can do it every service. Every service you hug God when you raise your hands up and you worship him and his presence comes. Oh, it's rich. So we, we showed up and it was late and I think there was only like six or seven people that showed up. But we decided we were going to preach. The generator didn't want to work. It was just like this equipment. You guys, I prayed for the equipment. I don't know if you knew it and I imagine you guys did too, but I was praying. Because I knew how important it was for people to see what we're seeing today. And I believe God touched the equipment. Thank God for servants that know what they're doing. But God intervened sometimes. That generator had never failed me. And every time we cranked it up, it would die. Crank it up, die. Crank it up, die. I finally went over there. I laid hands on it in the name of Jesus. I spoke life into it. Thought it was kind of crazy to do that. This wasn't this great faith thing. This was like desperation. You know, when you're desperate, you cry out to God and hope he does something, and often he does. 
And I cranked it one more time, and it never failed the rest of the night. And I was like, yeah, let's preach. Began to preach the gospel, and, and the people are receiving. You, you sense the struggle going on with the demonic presence and then the presence of God. And it was just a struggle that night. And then four guys all of a sudden walk up across the back of the little group. They didn't come to stand where the group was. They came over here beside the platform to intimidate me. Three of them were carrying machetes, and they were going like this. Now, I have no fear of death. I lost my fear of death. I'm serious. I can't wait to die. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I cannot wait for that day. That God takes me out of this body and takes me home to be forever with him in eternal life. I can't wait to die. And I'm as serious as I can be. But I understand just as Paul did in, in uh, Philippians. He, he said, you know, I'm torn between two decisions. Having a desire to go on and be with Christ. Kind of sounds like I can't wait to die, doesn't it? Is this too radical for you guys this morning? I don't think so. You guys are a mature church. God is stirring up what you already know. Ooh, I feel that. God is stirring up what you already know. He's just bringing it to memory. Just allow it to bathe you again. Allow it to bathe you again and realign you with his will. And then you'll see the miracles. You got to get aligned with his will to see the miracles. When you know your God, there's no problem in trusting him. Paul said, for me to live is to live for Christ, and to die is gain. COVID, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? What's the best thing that can happen to us with COVID? I got a cough drop in my mouth. I hope it doesn't come out when I do one of those things. We saw so much fear come on the church it's unfortunate. And I'm not diminishing the loss of a loved one to COVID. Yeah, that hurts. But I'm not grieving for those that went on to be with Jesus during COVID. I'm like, man, I wish I was with them. I lost good friends of mine. And I was like, I remember the same pastor that got Brother Rolando saved. He died of COVID. And when I heard it, I was like, God, he's with the Lord. The guy beat me to it. See, we need to understand Jesus challenged us over and over and over and over again with having an eternal perspective on life. We got to get out of this world, worldly Christian perspective that we have. So these guys are walking up. They walk over here and they're doing this. And, and I have no fear of death, but there's something about being hacked to pieces with. My knees began to shake. But I had learned with other situations that I had in Guatemala where my life was in danger, that when you sense fear, listen to me, people, when you sense fear, it is not time to get on your knees and pray. It is time for you to realize that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And when you have that realization within you, it's not time to pray, it's time to act. So I went over to with those guys that was intimidating me i didn't ignore him i went over there and i began to speak to him and the first thing crazy things happen when you do these things by faith the first thing out of my mouth was you don't have to be afraid and i'm like 
You don't have to be afraid. Jesus died for your sins. You can, re- you can repent tonight and you can be saved. You don't have to go to hell for your sins. And after a while, I let them chew on that for a little bit. I came back and I'm about to give the altar call in the most powerful demonic spirit I have ever felt in my ministry, Pastor. And believe me, in Cuba, there's lots of demonic presence. We've had multiple encounters in Guatemala and in Cuba. I didn't see a thing this night. It was just so strong. I was about to give the altar call. And when I, I went like this to give the altar call, all of a sudden, this, this overwhelming fear, it was just, whoa, this rush of fear came on me. And I was like, what is going on for about five seconds? And then my spirit clicked in. Greater is he that is in me than this thing that I'm feeling is so powerful. You know, let me tell you something. The only weapon that Satan has is a lie. If he can get you to believe the sickness he's trying to put on you is going to kill you, what are you doing? You're putting your faith in a lie. He operates under God's principles. You do understand that, don't you? The only weapon that he has is a lie. If he can get you to put your faith in a lie, then you're operating under God's principles. And in that moment out loud, I stopped everything I was doing right there. And I just out loud said to Satan, I said, Satan, I bind you tonight. Demon, I bind you tonight. You have no influence over this crowd. And even more so, you will not affect them until they have the opportunity to accept or reject the love of God. And I gave the altar call. And the first one to come forward was the leader of those four. He walked forward, and I'm like, really? It surprises us, too, you know, when God does things like that. And a teenage girl, the leader of that group came forward, and a teenage girl, and Rolando was so excited that the church was starting on his property. Two years later, we had a building on the property. The church was running 40 or 50 people at the time. He was so excited, so blessed, living right beside the church at that time. He's sitting out in front of this mud hut with those two little ones, the littlest ones that are right in front of his wife playing when a four-wheel drive pickup truck drives up two guys get out he lived way up in the mountains he stands up and says what can i help you with they say are you rolando escalante he says yes what can i do for you they pulled out a pistol they stuck it in his face and pulled the trigger rolando escalante not only gave half of his property for the kingdom of god but he gave his life as a martyr for christ his uncle had hired those guys for 200 bucks to kill rolando because of the church now, when we start, when I think about my life, I'm thinking, I don't want to be standing next to him when he gets his reward in heaven. I mean, he's going to be one of the big ones. He gave half of everything he had, and then he gave his life. You will by no means lose your reward. You know, Jesus said that if you give a little cup of water to a child, you will by no means lose your reward. How about the people of the talents? We all know that parable. I'm not going to talk about it. It says, Jesus says that a master goes away and he left three of his servants with money and and said, do business while I'm gone. And then he came back and asked them to give an account. What did he say right before he began that parable? Does anybody remember? He said, the kingdom of God is like. Come on, people. Anytime that we see that, We need to understand that he's preparing us for eternal life. 
He said, the kingdom of God is like. This is how it is, people. I'm going to be going away, and I'm leaving you to do something. And you need to be faithful because I'm coming back, and you're going to give an account. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, I think it is, verse 10, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in the body. This is not talking about salvation. Whether good or bad. Some versions say whether good or evil. It's talking about that day that we don't like to think about very much of when we will have to give an account for what we did with this life. You do understand that, don't you? I, I hope you understand that because that was the parable of the talents. And then the other one was the parable of the mina. Same, same concept. The master goes away, leaves his servants with something to do, and then he comes back and says, what did you do? And they received rewards according to what they did. The kingdom of God is like. We must be so very close to the second coming of Christ. We must be so very close to the tribulation years for the Spirit of God to speak so clearly and so plainly and so, so lovingly to us, saying, okay, time to crank it up. It's not time to withdraw. It's not time to get away from church. It's time to get back into church and be there where it's safe because there's going to be such deception that even the elect, if it were possible, will be deceived, says the Bible. There's going to be such deception that you will get lost if you don't stay connected. Do you see the Spirit of God speaking to his church? I see him cranking us up for the great things. We're seeing miracles in the churches around the U.S today that you're just now going to start to hear about it because people are getting back to prayer and fasting they're getting back to the basics and they haven't had to give up everything they own either but some of them are willing to do so let me give you a a quick teaching let's go if you can bring up first corinthians chapter three starting in verse eight real quick Pastor told me you guys go till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> he said, if necessary. You know, this is the other thing. Can I be transparent with you? In America, we're seeing the churches are trying to cut the... They said people just don't have the, the, the uh, attention span that they used to have. That's not true. I've seen them sit in front of the television and watch a three-hour game or a three-hour movie. It's the content, people. In Cuba, a normal service is three hours long, and there's no air conditioning. And we usually walk out soaking wet with sweat because we've been worshiping God, and it gets exciting. Now, I'm not saying that we should have three-hour services. I think they should be four. No. I'm just saying, people, when you, when you get a hold of who God is and what he wants to do, and you're in his presence in such a way, you don't want to leave, man. There's not, not oh, i got to beat the Baptist to lunch. This, this is from the heart of God, people. It's not a rebuke. It's, it's kind of like, come on. I'm not going to keep you here till 2. Maybe 145, but not to, no. No, we're going, we're going to be respectful. 
I'm going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 real quick. This is so important. We're going to go through it quick. It's talking about that time of the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each, one's, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. It's going to jump down to verse 11, please. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In this particular chapter, Paul is talking about those who work in the kingdom of God, those who work in the ministry. But this teaching applies to all of us because we all have a role in the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, talking about that day before the judgment seat, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. I don't think it can be any clearer that we're not talking about salvation here. Because the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. It's we're already saved. We're getting ready to step into heaven. I don't know the exact timing. Nobody really knows. And we understand that God uses human things that we cannot kind of understand. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like this. But there's going to come a day when you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your life now let me put you at ease you're not going to give an account for your sins i've heard preachers i love it when they do it with a southern accent too it's like yeah when you get to heaven there's going to be a big old tv screen up there and everything you did is going to pass before you and you're going to have to give an account for everything you did you see, my Bible tells me that he has separated me as far as the east is from the west from my sins. That they've been cast into the sea, and he even says he will not remember them. It's not that he forgets. God can't forget. He will not bring them to remembrance. Some of you are still asking God to forgive you for something that he already gave, forgave you years ago. You're carrying around a burden that you don't need to be carrying around. But it was so horrible. Yeah, it was. A lot of stuff I did was pretty horrible, too. And there were times that I would go before God and, God, please, please forgive me. And he'd already forgiven me. And he was like, don't remind me of that. Don't remind me of that. It's been cast out. I don't want to remember it. See, he won't bring our sins to remember. Isn't that exciting? You will not answer for your sins because Jesus Christ answered for your sins. If you haven't accepted that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You can do that this morning. You walk out of here clean, 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 forgiven. But when you do that, then you enter into this that you are now the servant of God. And my Bible says that my life is my own, that I was bought with a price. Amen. So I'm a voluntary servant of God. I, I like to say I'm a slave, the slave of Jesus Christ. If you read the Bible, all of the uh, authors of the New Testament, they all, in some place, every single one of them say, I am the slave. They don't say bond servant. Look it up in the original. Do a word study. They say, I am the slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ. John, the slave of Jesus Christ. Jude, slave of Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because they'd given up their will to God and say, I'm yours. Use this life. Amen? I'm getting off track. So just to, to, to sum this up real quick, this teaching, we see here that there are gold works, there's silver works, there's precious stones. If you put those through the fire, they just get refined. But there's wood works, there's hay works, and there's straw. Right? Pastor, you play golf? Good thing. It is not a sin to play golf. It is not a sin to go fishing. I love to go fishing. But there is no eternal value in fishing. Now, if you have a boat and you love to fish and you invite the missionary, then there's an eternal reward for you for inviting. Because <laughs> you invited the missionary. I'm playing with you, trying to keep it a little light here. Here's the illustration. Let's say every Sunday afternoon you go out and you play golf. You don't go to church, you just, you just play golf. No sin in playing golf, right? There's no sin. Is there any eternal value in playing golf? No. But it's probably a good work because you get some exercise when you're doing it. What about if you just sit around the TV all day long on Sunday and watch NASCAR or you watch NFL and you're just eating and drinking and just sitting there getting fat? That's, that's a stubble work. So we understand that the works are valued on whether they have eternal value or they're just worthless. That's what the Bible is talking about, whether that we will receive the things in the body, whether good or bad. It's really whether it's worthy or worthless. That's what the Bible's talking about. So here's my illustration. As I was going through the process of surrender that God brought me through as a young man. I got saved when I was 25. My wife told me she had a call to ministry. I was like, well, not if you marry me. I was like, I'm going to live the blessed life. And I was doing pretty good by myself. And now I got God on my side. He's sure to bless my vision for my life. God began to bring me through a process of surrender, of surrender, of surrender. It continues today. Paul says, I die daily. We have to die to ourselves daily so that we can follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There came a point where God sent me on a missions trip to Guatemala. I've told this story before. I won't go in it. But the end of the story is that I came away from that trip saying that I would never be a missionary. I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, this trip has confirmed one thing, and that is that I'm not called to be a missionary. I'll give to missions, but I can't do that. It's too much. And God was bringing me through this process of surrender, and little by little I was learning to surrender my life. And part of that was he gave me a vision of the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. He gave me a vision of that day when I was going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with my arms full of my works. What I did in the flesh is what the Bible says. There's so much to teach here this morning. I'm trying to cram it all in. And I saw myself standing before Jesus. He was sitting on his throne. He still had the scars. He chose to keep them. And he was looking at me. He wasn't saying much. And I was weeping because I understood that it was nighttime and I couldn't work anymore. And as I stood there with my works in my arms, I began to weep because I realized I had wasted my, my life. You know what was in my arms? Big house. My Mercedes Benz. My wife's BMW. My bass boat. It's not sin. None of those are sin. But that's what I spent my life 
working on. And so now my works are being judged by the fire of an almighty God according to their eternal value. And as I stood there weeping, it was like, <gasps> now I'm stepping into heaven. The Bible says he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The most amazing thing is when I looked at the Lord, I, I remember how embarrassed, how ashamed I was, and I was weeping, and I couldn't hardly lift my head. And I decided to look at the face of my Lord, and when I looked at him, I expected disgust, I expected anger, but I saw tears coming out of his eyes. And I am reminded of when he stood before Jerusalem. We said he wept before Jerusalem. What did he say? He's getting ready to give his life. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he tells them all the things they did. And then he says, how many times did I want to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks? But you would not. And that is exactly what I was feeling from those tears. It was like, Damien, Damien, I had prepared a place for you, but you would not. It changed my life. I hope it changes yours. It's reality. I want to close with a couple, couple more examples. If we can go to that next story. I'm looking at the time. Pastor, can I have about 10 minutes? I won't tell this whole story. I told it last time I was here, but brother, this is Brother Thomas in another village in, in Guatemala. Similar situation where he got saved and then told us he would donate a piece of land so that we could build a church on it. The only problem was <laughs> his situation was just three weeks before a construction team was coming in. We were supposed to build in one place, and it, the door got slammed shut, and now I've got a team and no place to build. And some one of our missionary colleagues told me about Brother Thomas, and so I took the four hours and drove up to that village and sought him out. I found out where he was and introduced myself. He didn't know who I was. And I said, Brother Thomas, I understand you got saved, that you're raising up a group of believers and that you have a piece of land that you're willing to donate the uh, property to build a church on and he says yes and he gathered together the small group spirit of God saying build here build here so I asked him I said well show me where the property is and he walks me over to where there was a one room cement block hut dirt floor he had built it out of cement blocked family from the tremors that happened all the time there because he lived at the foot of an active volcano and I said, well, let me explain to you the situation. And I said, I said uh, the team is coming in three weeks. And uh, that's your house? And he says, yeah, that's my house. That's where you live? Yes, that's where I live. His, I think he had four boys. You can see him there and his wife, one room. And I said, the team's going to be here in three weeks. And in order for us to get it ready for the team, I have to dig the trenches, pour the footers, and get the steel coming out so that in the six days that they're here, They'll put up the walls, they'll build the trusses, they'll put a roof on, and they'll even install electricity. But your house would have to be knocked down, and it would have to be knocked down within the next week. Are you willing to do that? And he only stands about that tall with that cowboy hat on, and he has a real drawn, hollow face. And I remember his eyes got as big as saucers. I said, are you willing to do that? And he started to go like this. And I'm feeling like a heel. I'm like, I can't ask this guy to give up every everything that he has in a week i said i tell you what i'm going to come back in a week you 
your wife. If you change your mind, when I come back in a week, I'll see that your house is still there. Don't worry about it. I'll find another place. But if you're serious, when I come back in a week, the house has to be knocked down. Five days later, I couldn't take it. I was like, I got to see what this guy is doing. I got in my speed the light truck and I drove up there and this is a picture that I took. That's the last wall to his house. He come running up to me. Oh, Brother Damien, Brother Damien. He begins to cry. I'm so sorry I didn't have it. The day you left, I took the off of the, off of the, the, the roof and we made a wood shack on the back part of the property and that's where we're living. But I couldn't knock down this last wall because it has an electrical connection in it. I'm so sorry. He was crying. My God. Get a hold of it. This was not a summer home or a winter home. This was everything he had. That from one day to the next, he knocked it so that a church could be built. Team came in, they built the church that now there's a feeding program going on there. I don't know if you know about Charlie's Lunch. Uh, uh, Sam and Janie Stewart, some of you know the name. They have a ministry called Charlie's Lunch. They, that, was, that was their second ministry. It continues to this day. And Brother Thomas, a year later, he'd suffered. He broke his leg during that year. His wife got deathly ill. That youngest, the, the son next to him, was dragged by their cow. That was the only other thing he really owned was a cow. He went through a process of trying and testing, and the enemy was trying to do everything to break his faith. But he was faithful, and a year later, somebody sent me the offering, and today he lives right behind the building in a much larger two-room cement block house with a concrete floor, tongue and groove insulated ceiling, and a nice kitchen area outside for his wife. Because a Mayan Indian in Guatemala learned what we tell everybody. You can never outgive God. God will never be a debtor to any man. We don't give to get, but we just trust God, and he does it. Go to the last story. Cubans, it's amazing. Even to, in, the, in the midst of their most difficult situation, we'll go to uh, Pastor Pedro real quick. He's coming. Pastor Pedro, a young couple, was in the midst of all this church growth, and he decides that he has the call of God in his life, and he moves his wife and two teenage girls up into this wood shack. He was from the city. He lived in somewhat comfort with his family down in the city. But he takes his family and he moves them up into this wood shack. And that's what hundreds and hundreds of pastors in Cuba are doing. And they go often with nothing. I met one family. They had one pot. They lived there for a year in a wood shack with one pot. The back on the ground outside. The wife gets pregnant. There's no way where for her to have the baby. So mom takes her back to the city. When we showed up to visit them, she was in the city and the pastor was there alone. He had stayed because of the people. Brother Pedro, he tells the story and I've told it here and I'm going to tell it again because it's incredible. You have to understand their focus on life is totally different. They're not looking for the goods of this life. They're not looking for happiness in this life. They have no hope of happiness in this life. And so they understand eternal life, and they're sowing into eternal life, and they're sowing into eternal life. It may mean hunger. It may mean getting sick. It may mean being uncomfortable. It may mean going to jail. But they do what they can for the kingdom of God. 
and the presence of God. When you get people together like that, oh my goodness, Pastor. When they begin to worship, they are worshiping in spirit and truth. And oh my goodness, it's like a cloud of the presence of God. And he told me the story shortly after it happened. His mom walks in. She was not from there. The Spirit of God told her, you need to be up there with your son this morning. It was such a strong impression. She walks into the presence of God. They're all worshiping. There's only like 12 or 14 of them. There's no fancy music going on. There's just 12 or 14 people who love God with all their heart, and they're worshiping. And the presence of God is manifesting. In walks mom, and she goes over to a, a bench, and very quickly she's overwhelmed by the presence of God and just goes, falls back on one of those benches. And nobody thinks anything of it because that happens in Cuba all the time. We don't have to pull over. They just, they just respond. It's beautiful. And they don't get hurt. When it's God, they don't get hurt. Amen? Nobody's thinking anything of it. They're used to that. But after about five minutes, one of them was a nurse. She walks over. She thinks mom looks a little strange. She feels for a pulse, and mom has no pulse. Mom, mom died worshiping God. Do you know the Mark Burney story? He's preaching behind the pulpit and has a massive heart attack and dies preaching. One of our Penn Florida pastors in Merritt Island. It's in the news. He died. They had it on video. He died in back the pulpit. I wish it happened to me. I'm ready to go. God knows my heart. I'm ready to go, but I got a lot more work to do. So I can, I have full confidence when I said, oh God, take me. He not, that, that was Paul's heart. You have to understand. That's what he was saying. He says, I have this desire to go, but I understand that I got a lot more work to do here on this heaven. Mark Burney falls dead with a massive heart attack, and he was there for 15, 20 minutes. There was no way he was going to recover. They ended up taking him to the hospital, and somehow, I don't know how they were able to revive him. He ends up with a heart transplant and is preaching today. (laughs) God is still doing miracles. Pastor Pedro's over there worshiping. The nurse knows that mom's dead, but Pastor Pedro doesn't. Nobody else does. She walks over to Pastor. and she's, They're very respectful of the presence of God. And when God's moving, nobody wants to interrupt. And so she says, Pastor, I don't want to interrupt, but you need to know your mom is no longer with us. And he says, I opened my eyes. I saw my mom. And I said, what do you mean? She's right there. Pastor, your mom is dead. He said, Brother Damon, you'll never believe what came out of my mouth. It was just instinctive. And I said, what? What happened? He said, as soon as I heard that my mom was dead, everybody was still worshiping. Nobody knew. He said, I told everybody, stop, everybody, stop. I've got great news for you. My mom just went on to be with Jesus. He said they all had the same reaction. It was like, oh, hallelujah, gloria They celebrated it. Oh, brother. Didn't they go over there and lay hands on her and pray her back to life? No! Would you want to be prayed back to life in that situation? I had a friend of mine, true story, this happened in Orlando. I grew up with this guy, and his dad was 74 years of age. He has a massive heart attack and dies. His family were faith-filled people. They lay hands on him and bring him back to life. God sometimes even answers our prayers when it's not his best for us. You've got to be careful about that. My friend told me when dad came to, he, the first thing he said was, why did you do that? I was with my Lord. Two weeks later, he had another heart attack. They let him go. 
people, we've got to get a hold of eternal life and what it means and that how we live eternal life depends on what we do in the kingdom of God in this life. Go to the last picture. I want you to see these poor depressed Cubans. Yeah. Yeah. They're so oppressed. They're so depressed. They have no hope. Look at their faces. Look at this lady over here. You see the preachers all flushed because we'd been working for over an hour and it was over 90 degrees inside of there. It was like a sauna, but nobody cared because God's presence was there and we were worshiping and we were worshiping and we were worshiping. But now it came time for me to preach. The pastor goes up front and he's getting ready to introduce me, but he feels inspired by the spirit of God to take a few minutes and to remind them of eternal life. He begins to talk about eternal life and this was their reaction. Look at this lady by the door. Can't wait to die. Look at the, the their, their faces are just shining with hope, with the expectation of eternal life. It is eternal life. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. We're going to eat. I'm going fishing, pastor. There's no sea, but there's, let me dream. There's no sea, but there's a river. And I believe that, I know we're not going to be catching animals, but I believe that if human beings today are making robot fish and robot butterflies, and are, there are, aren't we? And robot people and robot, you don't think God can make something to swim in that crystalline river to give me a little bit of recreation? And when I've caught 20 or 30 of them and I've let them go, and then it's going to be time to go and eat. I'm not going to be hungry because there's no hunger in heaven, but you're going to be able to eat. You know what I'm going to eat, Pastor? Bone-in ribeye with mushrooms and garlic. Well, Brother Damien, we're not going to be eating cows in heaven. No, we're not. But if Burger King can make a veggie burger, I think God can make something that animal meat tastes like a bone-in ribeye with garlic and mushrooms. It's eternal life. Amen? Stand to your feet, please. We got to get a hold of it. They have a hold of it. They have a hold of it. I know it's getting a little late. Let's not waste any time. I'm going to challenge you, and I think everybody should be up here. This is the time for us to come forward and say, yes, God, here's my life. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about presenting your life. And I'm going to ask you right now, eyes open. Come on, come on. I guess nobody was touched with this message. You've been stirred. Now respond. This isn't for me. As you step forward, you're going to feel something happen. It's called surrender. It's called surrender. I surrender my life. That's what you're doing if you come forward. You're just, you're just surrendering your life. You're just saying, my life is not my own. It's yours, Lord. And I'm going to ask Pastor to come forward and leave us, lead us in a minute. He's already doing it. And just say, God, it's all yours. Thank you all for coming forward. We all should be doing this. That's what Paul says, I die daily. Close your eyes and just get in with God. It's not about, I'm not going to sit here and lay hands on pe people and push people over. This is between you and God. Begin a, moment, a precious moment with God where you 